screams that Jesus loves you, Lord. And I just pray that you'd uh, open our eyes to see it. Lord, we give you praise and glory and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody had to preach barefoot. What do you think of that? Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, open up to Second Kings. We're going to look at Second Kings chapter fifteen and sixteen. Hopefully, I got my glasses. I do. We'd have been in big trouble. Oh my goodness, we're coming to the end of the nation of Israel, at least uh, the ancient. Times We talked last time, you might remember, we talked a little bit about Uzziah. You guys remember? Uzziah was a, a good, strong, solid king for Judah. He really uh, brought about a revival to a point. One of the things we've been studying as we go through Second Kings, you know how many times that they would begin to do great things, but they'd stop just short of being all in, right? You remember? Every time they would, they would not tear down the high places, Okay. So that means the things that were on the outskirts, you know, it's not such a big deal. It's not right here in the middle of town. It's out there. I'm going to leave it. And those high places would be the very things that would pull them down. For you and I, how that reflects on our life is pretty simple. In our life, a lot of times in our faith, we'll have uh, uh, the centrality of Christ. We believe in Him. We put our trust in Him. But we're allowing things on the outside, on the edges, you know, little things, little compromises, you know, and maybe the Lord's laid on your heart some of those. Maybe the Lord's been telling you, you know, you really need to bring those things down, you know, get rid of this or get rid of that. But we leave it. And how many times in our life those high places is what pulls us down? The whole first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, second Samuel, it's all about that. Over and over again, we see the exact same things happening. People following the Lord to a point. But they, they just won't quite reach the place where they're willing to commit it all. To, to lay aside all that other stuff that they thought was so important. And we see that that's what happened with Uzziah last time. In Second in, uh, Kings, he goes by the name Azariah. And the Bible tells us that he got leprosy. Remember, he got leprosy because he decided that he was going to become the priest. So he went into the temple and he decided he was going to burn incense. He was going to pray for the nation because he was a good man and a godly king and a good guy. But he went beyond what God was asking him to do in his pride as he began to gain victory, as he began to have success. And so many times what we see is the same thing with these kings, right? They'd start kind of humble. They, you know, humble beginnings, you know, maybe they're a little freaked out about being a king. And then soon they start seeing some victory. A few years go down and they start getting prideful. And so Uzziah lives out the rest of his life with leprosy. God strikes him with leprosy there in the temple. He flees the temple. He, he remains the king. God didn't take him from being king. He just ended up being a leper king. And that kept Uzziah in a humble place. Uzziah was such a, I don't know, energetic ruler for the people. All they could see was Uzziah. I mean, Uzziah gave him victory. Uzziah did great things. Uzziah was an incredible king. You know what Isaiah chapter 6 begins with, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, what happened? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. See, the Lord, Uzziah, was blocking out the Lord because of his own pride, because of his own victory. But when Uzziah was replaced, that's when Isaiah could see the Lord clearly. So we talked a bit about Uzziah last time, and I'm just going to back up in chapter 15, and we're going to look at, uh, beginning at about, 
uh, verse 8, and we'll work our way through chapter 15. Some of it may be rehashing a little bit, just to remind us. We're going to go through several kings in the north. Remember, two kingdoms, right? Southern kingdom, Judah, had some good kings, wanted to follow the Lord. Northern kingdom, Israel, no good kings in rebellion against the Lord their entire history. Okay, so it says in verse 8, In the 38th year of Azariah, remember Azariah had another name, what was the other name? Uzziah, right? Uzziah. King of Judah, Zechariah the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. Israel north, their capital, Samaria. Judah south, their capital, Jerusalem. Okay, to help us keep it a little bit straight. And verse 9, it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and as, as his fathers had done, he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. In the very beginning, Solomon had a son, right? Solomon's son's name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam thought he was really something special because he was Solomon's kid. And he decided he was going to tax the people more than his father had taxed them. And he caused a civil war. Jeroboam, who was not of the lineage of David, rose up in rebellion against Rehoboam. Rehoboam ended up in the south. Jeroboam ended up in the north. Whenever the Bible speaks of Jeroboam, the sin of Jeroboam, Jeroboam took the, the truth of God and mixed it with all the other religions around him. So when it says he followed in the sins of Jeroboam, he mixed in everything else. He had a potpourri religion because he didn't want the people in the north to worship God in the south. So that was the error, if you will, of Jeroboam. So when the Bible says they followed in the ways of Jeroboam, that's what they were doing. They had this potpourri religion mixing everything together. It says in verse 10, Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck and killed him in the front of the people, and he reigned in his place. We see this happening all the time in the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom, nobody from the family of David. And basically, everyone does whatever is right in their own mind. If they didn't like the king, somebody killed him and took over. That happens. What's the Bible say in Galatians? Galatians gives us an interesting spiritual law. An interesting spiritual law that says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So we see people taking the reins of king by murder and conspiracy. And what do we see happening at the end of their life? Murder and conspiracy is taking the kingdom from them. So we have Shalom doing it here. Shalom takes over. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, indeed are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? I know you're asking yourself this question. Are we ever going to get a chance to see what Chronicles has to say? Yes, that comes after kings. So I know you're just chewing on your tongue. Can't wait. <clears throat> this was the word of the Lord that the Lord had spoken to Jehu in verse 12. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. Remember Jehu? How did Jehu take the throne? Murder and conspiracy, right? God said, Jehu, your family will only rule for four generations. So Zechariah was the fourth generation. And he was... a. A, a had someone rise up in conspiracy against him and kill him, even as his father ultimately had done before him, or his great-great-great-grandpa. So that was the end of the line of Jehu. So Shalem, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now Uzziah had another name. What was the other name? Azariah. Right, so I'm just making sure you guys are with me. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. Now that is the second shortest reign of any king. So just so you know, you never know, you guys might say one night, you know what, we're going to play Bible trivia. I don't know, maybe you won't say that. But if you do, the chance of this question coming up, of what king ruled the second shortest period of time, now you know the answer. The second shortest rule was uh, one month. He ruled for one whole month. Shalom. For Menachem, the son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah, came to Samaria, and what did he do? Struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria, and killed him, and he reigned in his place. Sounds familiar, right? We've read that already? What did the Bible say in Galatians? Whatsoever a man sows, what? He will reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap 
corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So when we look at this and we think about our life, okay, we think about the choices we make and the things we do. The Bible lays out for us sowing and reaping. If you feel like your life or your relationships in your life lack love, then the Bible says start planning it. Sow love. If your life lacks friendship, the Bible says sow friendship. The law of sowing is you sow one seed, but what do you reap? We're a lot of farmers here, right? What do we reap? Just one? We get a lot more than what we than what we plant, right? The same way, the same thing is true in the negative sense. If we're sowing discontentment, if we're sowing bitterness, if we're sowing anger, if we're sowing wrath, you're going to reap more and more of that in your life. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is a really a life verse. I think everybody ought to staple that on their refrigerator so that they can't take it off and look at it all the time. Because Philippians chapter 4, you guys can flip over there if you don't know where it is. Philippians chapter 4 tells us where our minds ought to be set. The things that our minds ought to be set to. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So the Bible is is letting us know, the whole book of Philippians is telling us, If you will change your mind, God will change your heart. What is Philippians 4 telling us to change our mind to? To focus on the good, right? Focus on the pure. Focus on the lovely. A lot of times in marriage relationships, we struggle in this concept. And we start to look at our spouse according to their failures and where they fall short. What's the Bible say? To meditate on where they fall short or meditate on what? What's pure, what's lovely, what's a good report. It's the same thing, sowing and reaping. I want to sow good seed. I want to sow good seed about my spouse. I want to sow good seed in my business relationships. I want to sow good seed wherever I go so that good seed is what I reap in my life. Now that doesn't mean there will not ever be any heartache. It just means the heartache that comes will not be the result of what I sowed. I'm going to sow good seed. Psalm 23, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Basically, he's declaring that God is everything he needs. Do you remember what he says at the end? The very last verse of Psalm 23, he says, For goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when the psalmist looks behind him at the trail of his life, what is he seeing behind him? Goodness and mercy. What is following him? Goodness and mercy. What's he planting? Goodness and mercy. What's he he trying to allow to leak out of his life? Goodness and mercy follows him all the days of his life. And he'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The concept is throughout scripture. Sowing and reaping. The northern kings didn't understand that. Every time they were upset, they just killed the guy. And reigned for a month and somebody else kills them. And reigned for a few years and somebody else kills them. And you have no stability, no real solid government, and definitely no good kings. Kings are not, they're not following in the ways of the Lord. That's what we see taking place. Well, let's see what happens next. So it says in verse 15, Now the rest of the acts of Shalem, the conspiracy which he led for one whole month, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Then from Tirzah, Menachem attacked Tipsah. And all who were there... And its territory, because they did not surrender, he attacked it. Look what he did. And all the women who were with children, he ripped open. So, do we have to qualify this as a bad king? Not a good guy. Not a good person. It says, in the 39th year of Azariah, Azariah had a different name. You remember the other name? Uzziah. You guys are going to remember him by the time we're done. In the 39th year, Azariah, king of Judah, Menachem, the son of Gedi, became king over Israel, and he reigned for 10 years. Look what it says in verse 18. And he did what? 
evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam. What was the sins of Jeroboam? Mixing all other religions with the one true religion, right? Mixing all the neighborhood religions together and worshiping false religions. Uh, the son of Nebat who made Israel sin. Now, Pul, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menachem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver. Now, this is what they would do. Assyria is going to be the kingdom that's ultimately going to conquer Israel. And Israel can't beat Assyria. At this point in history, is the most powerful nation around. Assyria is going to become a power first. After Assyria is going to come Babylon. After Babylon is going to come Medo-Persians. After Medo-Persians is going to come the Greeks. Uh, Alexander the Great, after the Greeks, is going to come the Romans. Okay, so that's how it works. Assyria is the power. And Assyria is coming, so in order to keep Assyria away, they sent him a thousand talents of silver, that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. So basically they surrender Israel surrenders. Now, Israel is now under the control of Assyria. He pays them a thousand silver pieces not to destroy them. So Menachem exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man, 50 shekels of silver, to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. So the king of Assyria bails for a time. He's coming back. He got paid off now, but he'll be back. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Menahem rested with his fathers, then Pekahiah, how would you like that name? Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now in the 50th year of Azariah, Azariah went by another name. Remember the other name? Uzziah. You guys are so smart. In the 50th year of Azariah, also known as Uzziah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned how long? Two years, two years. So these are not reigning for a long time, these guys. And what did he do in verse 24? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. What was the sin of Jeroboam? Mixing all other religions together with the one true religion, right? So mixing all those religions together. He's the guy who first started Israel on the path of sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house. Now we're in one chapter and we've already read three conspiracies and three murders and three different kings. So you see the instability of the north. The instability which comes from the attitude that says, I'm going to do whatever I think is right. But by the way, that is the attitude that is at the heart of the fall of man. Right? We go all the way back to Genesis. You guys remember Adam and Eve... First two people. And Satan came and, and, and tempted the woman and told her that she should eat of the, <coughs> of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did that mean, the knowledge of good and evil? Well, until that moment, where did she have to learn about good and evil from? God. The Bible says every evening they would walk together and God would explain to them the good from, from the bad. God would take care of them. So, but they decided, Eve decides, the temptation is, I want to know for myself what's good from evil. So she eats of the fruit so that it would make her wise. Isn't that what the devil said? It'll make you wise. You'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. Read it. It's in Genesis chapter 3, I think. 2 or 3? 2, 3. Anyways, one of those. You'll find it. It's in the beginning. So... Then, from that point, Adam, he, he takes and eats, Eve takes and eats, and they declared their independence from God. Ever since, when man has decided, I will do what I think is right, he ends up like the northern kingdom. Right? Look at our own world. There's probably no nation in the world that is governed uh, according to the Bible. None. How are we doing so far? We put an end to war yet? We had any peace? Not really. Yeah? A brother still killing brother like Cain and Abel? So our ability to think we know what's right doesn't necessarily work out. That's what's happening in the north. They just keep trying to do what they think is right. Do what they think is right. The Bible says there's a better way to live. The better way to live is to say, I'm going to let the Bible govern my life. 
I'm going to do what the Word says. I'm going to follow God's teachings. I'm going to follow what He declares. If you follow the Word, is there any murder? No. If you follow the Word, is there anybody stealing? If you follow the Word, is there anybody who's telling a lie? If you follow the Word, is there anybody who's taking advantage of anybody else? No. So because we have those things, what does that indicate? We're not quite following it, right? We're not quite following. That was the problem with the northern kingdom. That was their issue. They had declared their independence from God, and that independence brought them into trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. So here we got a new king. Pekah killed him and started. And uh, his name's not any better than the guy he replaced. Along with Argob and Ariah, and with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. And by the way, Every time we've read, who was the king in Judah? You remember? Azariah or Uzziah? How many kings have there been in Israel? Four. How many in the south that are trying to obey God? One. You see the difference in stability? By, by a, a people who want to follow what God is teaching. Verse 26. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah, so he's not going to last very long. And all that he did, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah, who also goes by? You guys are so good. <clears throat> Pekah, the son of Remelah, started uh, or became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. Oh, so he's there for a while. And he did what in verse 28? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam was? Mixing all of, you guys are starting to understand the history of Israel, aren't you? Mixing all these religions together. So in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Peleser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abel, Beth-Maacah, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali. And he carried them away captive to Assyria. First part of the captivity of the northern kingdom. There's going to be three basic parts or partial captivity until the entire northern is taken. This is the same king they paid a thousand silver not to touch him. Now he's come back and he's like, nah, I'm going to just take them. So he takes them. They were, by the way, very cruel. The Assyrians were very cruel people when they conquered. Verse 30 says, Then Hosea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Conspiracies and murders? The son of Remaliah and struck and killed him, so he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. So now we're back to, to Jotham, Uzziah's son. So Uzziah has died, so now we're to Jotham. But it's the 20th year of Jotham, but still... Some stability even with Jotham. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah, all that he did, indeed, are they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So in the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. Now he was 25 years old when he became king. Now we're the southern kingdom. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Zadok was high priest. Zadok is a high priestly line. Uh, so they're of the tribe of Levi. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all his father Uzziah had done. But look at verse 35. However, what's it say? The high places were not removed. So he, everything looked good, but there were still a few things in his life out here. You guys hear what I'm saying? A few things that he hadn't dealt with. He didn't want to face them. He didn't want to deal with them. So he left those high places. He left those high places. So the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. So he did some remodeling on the temple. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Now in those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah against Judah. So the, you hear what it said. Who sent him? The Lord. So the Lord is using the northern kingdom, bad guys, and Syria, bad guys, and he's bringing them against Judah, 
good guys. Well, it seems kind of curious, doesn't it? That God, it says the Lord sent the northern kingdom, bad guys, Syria, bad guys, against Judah, good guys. Why, why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord bring this, this, this period of time upon, upon the nation of, of Judah? Well, let's take a look. Uh, it says, So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Oh, Ahaz. He's an interesting fella. So you're having this conflict with the north. Right? They're, they're sending bad guys. The bad guys are coming down and causing problems. Now, when you have problems in your life, you have a couple of choices that you can do with those problems, right? You can take those problems a couple of different places. One, you can take those problems to the Lord. You guys heard of a guy named Hezekiah? We're going to meet Hezekiah probably not this week, probably next week. Hezekiah was a good king, against whom came a guy called Shennacherib. There's a name in case you have children, and you'd like to think, I'm going to pick out a name in the Bible that nobody's going to be able to spell. Shennacherib, that, that could be a good one. He wasn't a good guy, but it's a crazy name. Shennacherib. So Shennacherib comes against Hezekiah. He's going to obliterate Hezekiah. He tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, don't even pray. If you pray, there's nobody, no God, no thing that can save you from me. I am the king of Assyria. We are going to wipe you out. That's the attitude of Shennacherib. Hezekiah could try to get a partnership with Egypt. He could try to get a few other nations together. But what Hezekiah does is he takes a letter of Shennacherib. He opens it up before the Lord and he says, God, I got a problem. You guys remember the story in the Bible about one angel? Flying through the midst of an army and doing battle, he wipes out 186,000, something like that. 186,000 in one night. One angel. That was in answer to Hezekiah's prayer. Now, in this case, God has stirred up a, a little animosity, a little issue, a problem. And the people of Judah have an opportunity. Go to the Lord with the problem or try to solve it myself. And so, that's what happens. They got a king named Ahaz, and Ahaz is not going to be a good guy. We'll see in a minute. In the 17th year of Pekah, son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Listen to what it says. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. So, this guy is not a good king. Bad king in the south. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Listen to this. Listen to what he did. He made his own son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom God had cast out from before the children of Israel. Okay, verse 3 means Ahaz, the king of Judah. That's supposed to be the good guys, right? The ones who are following the Lord. He sacrificed his own children to the god Molech. He blesses and begins child sacrifice in the southern kingdom. The good guys, the guys who are supposed to be following the Lord, they begin child sacrifices in a valley called Hinnom. Hinnom. The way you say the valley of Hinnom is by putting a G-E on the front. Gehinnom. It becomes synonymous with a term used from that time forward, from the time of Josiah, when Josiah turns Gehenna into a dump where they burn their trash, it becomes synonymous with a word for hell. Gehenna. That's where Ahaz taught the people to sacrifice their kids. So this is God's people who are actually worshiping the true God. This is not the northern kingdom crazy people. They've been doing this for a long time. This is southern kingdom that are supposed to know better, who still have the word, who still have worship. Is it possible for people who are good and godly people to mess up and fall into sin you can't even imagine? Is that possible? 
The most dangerous place you can ever be is a place where you say, I could never do that. I have actually heard that a few times in counseling. Occasionally in counseling, I will share with somebody uh, my testimony. And they'll say something like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, wow. Uh, I'm not going to watch. The Bible says that when someone's lifted up in pride, there is a stumble on the way. There is a fall coming. So many times we think we're squared away and we would never find ourselves in that place. But the southern kingdom that was relatively godly, but the problem was, what was the problem? Remember, every king did what? He was a godly guy, but he didn't do, what didn't he deal with? High places, right? He left things on the fringe. Little things out here. And every once in a while, one of those little things will get you. You believe that? Yes. I was in high school. I was part of a a debate team. And for whatever reason, I was was pretty active in church at the time. Doing a lot of stuff. Don't, Don't laugh like that's some weird thing. I could still take you in football back then. So was was part of uh, this debate deal, and we, so anyways, we'd always get into these issues. And at, at the time, you know, that's a long time ago. A lot of you weren't born. Well, some of you weren't born <clears throat> back in about eighty. And uh, so, where some of you already had all your kids, so you know, hey, we got to. <laughs> okay, the point is. So we were we would debate abortion. Abortion was kind of a hot topic, and and so we did a lot of stuff. Talked about it. We wrote all these incredible, had these incredible debates, you know, and and uh, was pretty proud of the fact that you know I was making a stand. Now you fast forward in my life from high school in this pretty good stand and a pretty solid walk with the Lord about I don't know ten twelve years and. The life I'm living no longer even slightly resembled the life I was living back then. But see, I never dealt with the high places. I was a young guy and I, I loved the Lord and I loved God, but, but I could still do all these other things too. I didn't see the issue about, about you know, still partying, still drinking, still doing some of that stuff. What's the big deal? I still love God. So I leave the high places up. As a result of some of those high places... I end up sleeping with a a woman who is not my wife, and she gets pregnant. Now, 17 years old, in high school, I would never even contemplate. But 23 years old, a pregnant woman that's not my wife, gosh, you know, it's just so easy to... Take a child you've never seen and offer him on the altar of Molech. Oh, I know we today would never do anything so gruesome as lay a baby in a fire. No, we, we're much more humane about it. We put acid in the womb and the baby fries in the Holy of Holies within the mom. But really, is there any difference? Now, I fast forward like another 10 years and me and Kathy are doing good and, and we've come through a lot of crazy stuff and life is going pretty good. And we just had our third son, Joe, had just been born. And me and God were having one of those heart-to-hearts because, man, I mean, I prayed hard. My life is on track. You know, I've repented of all those things I'd done in my past and I prayed hard, Lord, I just, I want a little girl. Give me a little girl. And I had three boys. And I was a little irritated, you know, for God. I thought it's kind of an easy thing for God to give me a girl. So I went outside that night and I prayed and I pouted and I kicked the dirt and I hollered up to God. And he said, as clear as a bell, your daughter is with me.
there are things, choices we make and things we do that God forgives us of. But the consequences of those choices and things we do stay long after. One of the things we learn as we grow older is the joy of regret. I don't know if regret ever comes for you guys. Regret never comes at daytime for me. It always comes at night when I lay my head on the pillow and I want to go to sleep. That's when regret begins to whisper in my ear, what would life have been like? We can't go back. But I just want you to understand, that can happen to anybody. Southern Kingdom was doing okay with God, but they wouldn't deal with the high places. You hear me preach all the time, Sunday, Easter, Christmas, whatever day, get all in. Fully committed. That's the only place you're safe. When the devil comes to pick you off, where's he coming? Is he, is he going to pull a, a lamb or a sheep out of the middle of the flock? Where's he going to get them? On the edges, right? The ones who are still spending a lot of time going to the high places. If you're staying as close to Jesus as you can, where's that? That'd be in the middle, right? I mean, if Jesus is in the midst of his people and you're close to Jesus, you're going to be in the middle, right? But if I got high places, I'm on the edge. And if I'm on the edge, the Bible says the devil walks around how? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the first step to being devoured is to be filled with pride and say, that could never happen to me. Oh, that never happened to me. I'd never do that. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. So we want to have eyes open. The only way, guys, seriously, the only way to keep yourself safe is all in. No high places. Tear them down. Tear them down. Ahaz comes on the scene and he sacrifices his own children. Just hold your finger here and turn the pages to the right. You're going to come to Second Chronicles. Just, just flip to the right, you know, I don't know, 100 pages or so. Second Chronicles 28. Second Chronicles 28. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. Baals, false gods. He burned incense, where? In the valley of the son of Hinnom. And burned his children. Did it say child? What did it say? Children. Children. Every son. Burned his children in the fire. According to the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense where? On the high places. Now what would have happened if his dad had turned, had tore down the high places? Would it have been as easy? See the responsibilities that we have. We are responsible to deal with those things because there are people who come after us, right? The the father of Ahaz was a good king. He followed God. He just didn't quite get all in. He just didn't quite get all in. So it says in verse 5, Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of who? The king of Syria. And they defeated him. And carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. So remember we said, why would God send that? Why would he send that conflict? Well, you've got this beginning. You've got this beginning. And where is it that Ahaz runs to? He starts to sacrifice his own children for victory. He starts to sacrifice his own kids to get over. So look what happens in verse 4. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, back in 2 Kings, sorry. Uh, on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria. By the way, Rezin is the last king of the king of, Sy- of Syria. Syria is about to be conquered by Assyria. Don't 
mix them up. Syria still exists today, but in us, Assyria doesn't, but Assyria was the world power, the world dominating force. And the resident, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, that's the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. So they never overcome Ahaz, but they take a lot of people captive. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites went to Elath and they dwell there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria. So the southern king, Israel and Syria are picking on him. So he goes and calls for help from Assyria. He doesn't call God, he calls Assyria, who is going to try to wipe them out too shortly. But this is the beginning of that relationship with him. And he says, I am your servant and your son. Come and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. So he he actually sounds very much like a prayer that one would give to God. Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. Save me. But no, this is to an evil king of the kingdom of Assyria. Remember I told you when trouble comes, you got two choices. You can call on the name of the Lord, or you can take care of the issue yourself. This is what Ahaz tries to do. So what did Ahaz do? Look at verse 8. So Ahaz took silver and gold that was found where? In his own house? No, he robbed the temple. Ahaz took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord, and in the treasury of the king's house, and sent it as a, does your Bible say present? The word in the Hebrew should be bribe. Uh, sent it as a present slash bribe to the king of Israel, trying to pay, or king of Assyria, trying to pay him off. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kir, and killed Rezin. That was the end of Syria. For a period of time, he kills the king of Syria and he conquers their nation. Damascus was the uh, capital city of Syria, so he wipes them out and takes care of it. Now. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he saw an altar at Damascus. This is an altar to a false god. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. He says, man, I saw this really cool altar. Then Urijah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah, the priest, made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. So they're building a false altar in front of the temple, in front of the brazen altar, which is a symbol of the cross. Man, they're falling a long ways down, right? The nation of Judah is is really falling off the map. So he burned his burnt offerings and his grain offering. He poured out his drink offering, sprinkled blood of the peace offering on the altar. And then look what else he did. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. So he tore down the bronze altar that stood for the cross, and he put it somewhere else. And King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, on the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offerings. Do all the offerings from now on on the new altar. You know, God always said, when you build an altar to me, don't make it fancy. Did you know that? He said, I don't want you to use fancy tools to cut the stones. Just pick the stones up and make a heap. So you could have, basically the altar was like making a pit barbecue that you would cook your food on. That was the altar. But it wasn't supposed to be fancy. Because your focus was never supposed to be on the altar. Your focus was supposed to be on what? The sacrifice. Who's the sacrifice? Jesus. Who's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth? Jesus. But this king, he goes and sees his fancy altar. And he comes and he tears down the bronze altar that was plain. And he builds his fancy altar and he he switches things up so they start sacrificing on that altar. And the amazing thing is the priest does whatever he says. Verse 16 says, Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the, light, the lavers from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oven that were in it. And, uh, and he 
put it on a pavement of stones. So you have at the temple, the temple, bronze altar, between the bronze altar and the entrance of the temple, you have a bronze laver. The bronze laver was a big thing that held water. So the priest, after the sacrifice, could walk over to the bronze laver and wash their hands out with running water. They could wash their hands at this laver. They had a valve, and they'd rinse their hands and turn the valve back off, and then they'd be able to go into the temple and do the duties within the temple. But this king, he wipes that out. He tears it down. He tears apart the implements. A lot of people think he's taken all this metal and sending it to Assyria to, to continue to pay off Assyria so that Assyria doesn't come against them. It says, And he removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple. The Sabbath pavilion, that was a, a shade structure that they had built along the side of the temple where people could gather on the Sabbath, out of the sun and as they worshipped. He tore all that down. That's unnecessary. You know, let's tear that down. And so he's sending all those building supplies or whatever as he's, as he's tearing apart the temple of God to Assyria because Assyria is going to help him and is going to keep him out of trouble. Verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now this is how God works. Ahaz is not a good dad. He doesn't lay a good foundation. He does everything to make the kingdom a mess for his son Hezekiah. But you know, God's relationship with people is based on them, not their dad. Do you know that? It's, it's, it's based on you or me. Not based on who went before me or who comes after me. It's based on him. And God's going to do something through Hezekiah. Ahaz builds this relationship, guys. He builds this relationship with Assyria, the bad guys. They're the really, really bad guys. Okay? They're, they, when they conquer the people, they strip them naked. They put hooks in their jaws. Picture a giant fish hook. In, in chapter 17, the, the rest of Israel gets conquered. They strip the people naked and they run hooks through their jaws. So, and they walk them back to Assyria. Most of them don't live. So they stick the hook under here, comes out the mouth with a chain going to the next person. To the next person. To the next person. To the next person. And that's how they're marched naked Back to Damascus. The Lord said to the people, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But you're free to choose. God didn't give them the hook, they chose the hook. They chose the hook based on the fact that they rebelled against the Lord. God said, man, I've got life for you here. Over there is death. Don't go over there. But what did they do? They went over there. And they stayed over there. And God waited 250 years. How long should you have to wait? What would, what would indicate mercy? 250 years count? That's a long time. So their time's going to come. Ahaz made all these deals with Assyria, who does that to the northern kingdom. And Assyria is going to come after Hezekiah, Ahaz's son. But Hezekiah is going to choose to be all in. And when he chooses to be all in, well, then he didn't choose the hook. You know what I'm saying? He chose to be all in. God's going to deliver them. The southern kingdom is going to be captured by another country. Because they're still struggling, right? So they're going to go into captivity in a country known as Babylon. You remember what Babylon did to their captives? They brought them into the palace and made them wise men. One of those guys was a 16-year-old named Daniel. Babylon integrated the people. Assyria tried to destroy them. Life, death, the choice is yours. All along, 
Every king that came, everyone who stood up had that same choice. We have that same choice. The question for you and I, we're going to go out tonight and we're going to plant. You can't do nothing about the seed you threw today, can you? You can do something about the seed you're going to throw tomorrow though, right? You're going to go plant. What are you going to plant? What are you going to plant for your kids? What are you going to plant for your family? When you look behind you at your life, is it going to be goodness and mercy that's following you? Or is it going to be something else? The same story that we read, God's been telling for 5,000 years, 6,000 maybe. And it has the same thing. Some people choose life. Some people don't. You are free. You take any path you want to take. Go any direction you want to go. But you are sowing for a harvest. That maybe you'll reap. And, or maybe your kids. And I think it's important that we think about that. While we're out. Sowing seed. Jesus said, a sower went out to sow. Didn't he tell a story like that? What was he sowing? Good seed? That's what Jesus talked about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, just to see uh, the truth, Lord Jesus, as you lay out for us. And I think so many times we look at it. We look at... uh, what our experience is with the Lord God. We look at our experience in worship and we think, is this it? Am I really experiencing it? Because I'm not experiencing what I see on the pages of Scripture. Well, my encouragement would be, please, tear down the high places. Don't try to live in the middle. Choose a side. And whatever side you choose, get all in and then you will see the hand of God move in ways well you can only read on the pages of scripture then you will see God's deliverance then you will see the things you want to see going on in your family the things you want to see happening with your children and you won't have to be visited by regret at night Because you will have made a choice to get all in now. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our midst, Lord Jesus. That we would desire, truly, to be following the example of the kings who gave it all up for you. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.